Welcome to Abolish Arkham. If we can't imagine our world without police and prisons, what about fictional ones? We are your hosts, Yuki Nishida and Dakota Kennedy. And you're listening to WBCA 102.9 FM Boston. In the last episode, we interviewed Alice Quinn Rose to discuss the state v. Harley Quinn and her future as Gotham's antihero. In today's episode, we are joined by Christopher Rhodes. Christopher Rhodes is a lecturer in government at Harvard University and a lecturer in social sciences at Boston University. He is also a senior politics writer for Blavity News and an opinion columnist for Al Jazeera. He is also the creator of the political science fiction superhero comic, 10. Hi, Chris. Hey, everybody. I'm super excited to be here today. We are so excited to have you here, Chris. Um, It has been such a long journey. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and I've really enjoyed watching you all shape this podcast. You know, I'm very proud to say that I've, you know, been here since the very beginning and have been one of your biggest fans. Oh, oh my gosh. Us too. I mean, you were really here even before the podcast started Mm -hmm. because I met you in the spring when when this show was really just a dream. And so to have you here just feels like so full circle. And I am so happy that you came up to us with this idea for a holiday episode, um, particularly about Batman Returns, um, which is just such a special piece of Batman pop culture. Mm -hmm. So I'm just looking forward to having some fun and breaking any molds of what we have done in past episodes to just get us in the... Get us in the holiday mm-hmm. season through an abolitionist lens. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to maybe like, like, give a little more background and how how we all came together and how like this episode like came to be. Honestly, it's really just as simple as Christopher and I have been talking about the show for several months now. Like I said, even before we got started um, recording our first episode back in July, and so. Christopher has been so great at helping me just really think about the show and, you know, kind of just through our conversations, I think you you pitched it to me almost like half jokingly, not fully confident that I was going to take you up on this offer to talk about. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, Christopher, you pitch it. You tell you tell us what this is about. Since this was your dream. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously with the theme of the show and, you know, the really, you know, great concept for for the show to take the mythos of Batman and use it to analyze justice, to analyze our political sphere and everything. You know, I'd had this idea floating around in my mind for a long time about the movie Batman Returns. And especially now it's the, you know, it's the 30th anniversary of the movie. It came out in 1992. This idea that, you know, it serves as this really useful metaphor for our current kind of political situation. And, you know, I kind of half formed that idea and it was floating in my head. And I was like, wait a minute. I actually have somebody who would be willing to let me talk about this for like, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour. (laughs) And so, you know, I threw the idea out, like you said, kind of half joking, but half serious. You know, if this is something that you all would be interested in. Um, And you took me up on the offer and I'm like, sweet. And then I was like... (laughs) Okay, now I actually have to go back and watch the movie because (laughs) it's been years since I've actually seen it. And so it gave me a nice chance to go back and look at it um, and, you know, relive some of my childhood nostalgia and all this kind of thing. And I think, you know, it really solidified this idea that in this movie, obviously not intentionally per se, but really kind of prescient of a lot of the 
uh, political developments that we saw in this country, and especially now looking at it in the lens of what our landscape looks like in uh, 2022. It's almost eerie in some senses, you know, kind of the way in which Gotham City politics, as it's played out in this movie, reflects American politics that we have now. All right. So, I mean, yeah, just like once again, like today, we're going to be talking about the Batman Returns movie, um, which I can't believe it's its 30th anniversary. And I know we were talking a little bit before we started the show, some of the funny things about this movie. And so I would love to maybe like take a step back and talk about how this story begins mm-hmm. um, in the movie, as well as who are some of the characters that were introduced. So Christopher, can you like, yeah, can you take us there? Like, can you set up kind of how this movie begins and who we're introduced to? Absolutely. And so this movie, Batman Returns, so it's the sequel, it's the second in the of the Tim Burton Batman movies from the late 80s, early 90s. And so the movie starts in very Tim Burton fashion. The whole aesthetic is very dark, it's very gothic, it's very kind of surreal. And so it actually starts with this flashback of, you know, almost this stereotypical old money couple. Um, And they've had this child and the child is kind of unseen, but without words, really, without dialogue, it kind of establishes that there's something different about this child, something sinister. And so you see the baby is literally locked in a cage. Uh And at one point it grabs and presumably eats the family cat. And so it's just really extreme, grotesque, almost darkly comical moment and, you know the parents are just sitting there sipping their martinis <laughs> while this happens and so they take the child and they put it in a basket and float it off in the river basically get get rid of their baby and it's you know um you know very much kind of referencing you know i think you, you were saying earlier you know kind of referencing peter pan uh, the the movie from the 1990s also kind of almost a, a biblical reference too if you know the, kind say, of the moses like story exactly yeah. Uh, floating there. Of course, you know, this child ends up becoming the penguin, the Batman villain. So not quite Moses, but <laughs> those parallels are definitely there. And, you know, flashback, it flashes forward from there to the present day of 1992 Gotham City in Christmas time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the few explicitly Christmas movies among the superhero movies, which, you know, makes it perfect for, for this time of year. So these giant Christmas trees next to the opposing Gotham statues that are there for no apparent reason throughout the movie. Um, And so I think Tim Burton really likes to play with that contrast between the dark and the oppressing and the bright and the festive Mm -hmm. and all these kind of things. And like any good kind of superhero sequel, and I think it actually may be the one that kind of established a trend of throwing in multiple villains Mm -hmm. for the sequel. You know, the first movie had the Joker with Jack Nicholson and that's very kind of iconic performance. And so... This movie ups the ante with really three villains. Yeah. And so from the Batman comic books, you get both the Penguin, played by Danny DeVito. And this is a really interesting take <laughs> on the Penguin, too. Yeah. Um, you know, initially the Penguin in all the other versions is essentially just a little guy in a suit, in a tuxedo, who mm-hmm. has umbrella gadgets and commits crimes and is very, you know, genteel and upper class. Mm-hmm. And what Tim Burton and the writers do is they give this character, you know, these uh, physical abnormalities that make him appear more literally penguin-like. You know, he has kind of flippers for hands. He has this this elongated pointy nose and all these kind of things that make him look grotesque. And and they even do these things 
um, where Dan DeVito has this kind of black bile dripping yeah. from his mouth yeah. throughout the movie. It's really gross. It's really, really <laughs> gross. It's really <laughs> super oh, over yeah. the top. Combined with the raw fish eating. He, oh, he, he eats raw fish, you know, this like idea. That, exactly. You know, he's kind of, he was lived his life in the sewers after he was abandoned. He was raised by penguins, apparently. Um, doesn't exactly go for realism. No, here. no, no, no. Um, I mean, that was all thrown out the door the second that we were supposed to believe that Danny DeVito, the penguin, was in his 30s. Which, yeah. again, <laughs> which again, as someone who is in my early 30s, I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder I and so many of us have spent forever thinking that people in their 30s are old. <laughs> Because Danny DeVito is just looks, yeah, is yes. not a believable 33-year-old. Yeah. Not quite. Person. Not so much. <laughs> not quite. But yes, if you must remember, you know, this is the era where you'd have 25-year-olds playing, you know, high school students. So, oh, yeah. you know, you have to give, you know, a 10, 15-year age bump for these <laughs> for these movies. And so you have, you know, this kind of grotesque version of the Penguin here. Um, and then uh, you also have Catwoman introduced. Here, you know, obviously a very popular Batman character, you know, sometimes villain, sometimes anti-hero, you know, love interest of Bruce Wayne, very complicated relationship, very much kind of, you know, the dark side of Batman in many ways, uh, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. So and good. Absolutely. Yeah, so good. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing performance. Um, and, you know, some of the anecdotes, you know, a lot of the things that she does in this movie were very were practical work. Mm-hmm. You know, the famous scene where she goes with the whip and she knocks the heads off the mannequins in the department store. You know, she actually learned to do that. Or when she meets the penguin and they kind of do their villainous team up, mm-hmm. there's a scene where she takes this pet bird and she puts it in her mouth. Uh, oh, she, yeah. and oh. she actually did that on set. That's not oh, CGI. God. I'm wow. pretty sure like this, you know, she actually put a live bird in her mouth and let it oh, fly out for, you know, it's a, it's a commitment to the role. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's wild. I definitely, I, as I was watching that, I was like, there's no way. They must have switched it out for a stuffed mm-hmm. animal at some point or blah, 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 blah. But wow. That was. She's such a boss. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this very much, you know, this theme throughout with her character of kind of women's empowerment and the 1992 version of that, um, of course. So it's very over the top, very much. And mixed with, you know, she makes this homemade leather costume. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, very like dominatrix, exactly. very much so. Like, you know, the whip you know? and yeah. everything, and all the leather, mm-hmm. like the patent leather and the skin tight clothes, for sure. Yeah, so you know, the symbolism, the, uh, the imagery is very much kind of in your face there. Um, but you know, very much such a compelling villain. Um, and the you know the com- the contrast between those two and the uneasy kind of tension where they team up against Batman and all of this kind of twists and turns. Well, and I would even like to pause for a second and talk a little bit more about Catwoman and her (laughs) character, because as I was watching it, obviously with a critical lens of who the villains actually are, (laughs) I wasn't fully convinced that she was really that much of a villain. Like, I mean, her motivation seemed to be that she wanted revenge because her boss, who was played by Christopher Walken, who I know Mm -hmm. we'll get into as... um, is it Max Shrek? Yes. Yeah, Max Shrek. Um, kills her. And then she or gets Tim. kind of saved by cats mm-hmm. and then gets these cat-like powers and suddenly has nine lives that she can come back from, you know, um, and how that really gets tied into her personality because she goes from being this kind of docile, people-pleasing, like, you know, kind of doormat of an mm-hmm. of a secretary 
excuse you, executive assistant, which <laughs> I thought that was a funny little like kind of <laughs> I thought that was a funny little joke that kind of got repeated throughout the movie. Um, and so even just her motivations, like I just kind of thought like, you know, she was kind of just out there kicking butt um, and trying to get revenge, which I guess can be a villain's motivation. But I didn't feel like she was really part of necessarily. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't feel like she was really a part of a big, a bigger scheme. Mm-hmm. Right. No, you're absolutely right. You know, kind of in terms of her motivation there, you know, in contrast to, you know, say the comics or some of the other adaptations where, you know, Catwoman is more kind of a cat burglar or thief and yeah. whatnot. There's none of that really there. You know, her mission is pretty much one of vengeance mm-hmm. um, against, as you say, you know, her boss, this evil tycoon who's, you know, introduced in the movie who literally pushes her out of a window um, in order to cover up some scheme. And so, you know, she's going after him and whatnot. And so she ends up kind of teaming up with the Penguin at one point because, you know, Batman kind of becomes their common foe. But, you know, she's very much a vigilante. And, you know, the line between what she's doing and what yeah. Batman is doing is a very thin one. Um, you know, and so it really kind of plays a little bit with, you know, who is the actual villain, who's the actual kind of hero of the story. Definitely. Because, I mean, I think that, it could have been just as likely that she teamed up with Batman instead of trying to team up with the Penguin. And the decision to team up with the Penguin was interesting because ultimately Max Shrek was the puppet master behind Penguin. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it, yeah it's this interesting kind of triangle of villainy, if you want to call them villains, of antagonists, if you will, where, you know, any two of them are kind of connected in one way or the other. And so the interplay between the three of them really is the story of the of the movie. You know, Batman almost takes kind of a very much kind of a backseat role mm-hmm. uh, to this drama playing out between these three characters. Yeah, it was almost very interesting to watch or like when I was watching, because this, this was also this was also my first time wa- like seeing um, this movie. I was very interesting that I was like very much less interested <laughs> Whenever Batman was on screen, it was I, I really wanted to see like all like the Penguin and Catwoman and Max Shrek like how they like operate and how like they were how their like story progressed throughout the movie and how they all like had these like competing motivations and how they all kind of like at the same time overlap. I mean, and towards like the climax of the movie, like Max Shrek like eventually just like backstabs all of them too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, there's, it feels like there's little Batman in this actual kind of Batman yeah. movie. But at the same time, you don't really miss him because of all these uh, compelling characters that you're following um, in their interplay, in their drama, and in, in their kind of cooperation slash competition between each other. Well, and Chris, you did such a great job of setting up the other characters in this series mm-hmm. that I would love um, if you could ex- like introduce us to Max Shrek. Because I think that this, doing a little foreshadowing here, I think this is where a lot of your analysis comes into where you make the argument that this movie that was created in 1992 says a lot about where we are today politically. Absolutely. And so I'll start with just a very short version, which is Max Shrek is essentially Donald Trump. <laughs> that's just, <laughs> the the, that's heir, just the, the short heir. way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> And so he's this evil billionaire, essentially. Um, yeah. You know, he's a creation of the movie. Um, so he's not from comics or anything. Um, the name Max Schreck actually is an old German actor. So um, he started in a Nosferatu. Um, oh. And so it was just kind of a nod to that. But the actual character, you know, he looks like Donald Trump. You know, he has the, the wild hair, the leather gloves. You know, he sounds like Donald Trump. And this was something that 
even at the time the movie came out, people noticed. Um, you know, I, yeah. I found an old New York Times article that points that, and Christopher Walken kind of, you know, downplays it. It's like, oh no, I'm just using a New York accent. You know, it's kind of a. <laughs> I mean, he literally says you're fired. Yes, at the yeah. end of the movie, oh, one of his last of lines in the movie, you know, he tells you know uh, Catwoman, you know, who was his executive assistant, you know, you're fired. It's very much yeah, is that you know with that same inflection that that Trump uses. And so even now, more so, you know, now that we are familiar with Trump in the political context, it just beats you over the head that, you know, and even back then, I think, you know, it was fair to say if you're going to have an evil billionaire as your character, here's kind of the model that you use. Um, If I remember correctly, you know, when uh, Lex Luthor was revamped in the comics in the late 80s, uh, Donald Trump was the inspiration for that as well. Oh, my God. um, To a, a certain extent. And so, you know, and so it's not coincidental that this is what it is. And so you get this Max Shrek character as kind of, you know, the driving force, kind of in many ways the ultimate villain in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's this evil businessman. He has this scheme to steal power from Gotham City to essentially enrich himself. Uh, well, and isn't he also responsible? Like, he's a department store owner. And isn't he also, like, responsible for a lot of the toxic waste that is going into the drains where the penguin lives? Absolutely. Yeah. And so... it really establishes that, you know, a lot that's wrong with Gotham City and including the emergence of the other two villains or antagonists mm-hmm. are pretty much directly because of him. You know, he's polluting the city with all this toxic waste. He's, he's doing other things. He's engaged in this really illegal scheme that Selena Kyle discovers. And so that's why he attempts to murder her to keep it quiet, which turns her, you know, leads to her transformation into Catwoman. He's polluting the suitors, um, which is why... Penguin and his gang of circus performers initially come <laughs> after Max Shrek and yeah. Shrek being the deal maker that he is makes a deal with Penguin essentially you know hey don't kill me instead let me use you and you can use me and so they hatch this elaborate scheme to get Penguin elected the mayor of Gotham City <laughs> yeah. so that he can in, in turn approve these business deals for Max Shrek who's kind of the puppet master behind the scenes Mm-hmm. One of the things I really like about this movie is, you know, it's one of the superhero movies that's very explicitly political. You know, it's about a mayoral campaign. Yeah. Um, a very ridiculous mayoral campaign. But having lived through 2016 and 2020, uh, ridiculous campaigns seem a little bit quaint now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, because I mean, a big impetus for Shrek. I mean, Shrek already needed a new mayoral candidate. Right. Because hadn't they kind of established early on that the ma- the current mayor wasn't going to go along mm-hmm. with right. his scheme. And so, I mean, yeah. So that character really needed someone already. He needed a puppet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it is pretty miraculous to me that it was even remotely successful and like kind of to watch the penguin rise like to this kind of like Gotham's like darling, like in mm-hmm. all of his like kind of like, I mean, you know, he just is an unpleasant character yeah you know like they like again like with the bile dripping down his mouth like the way Mm -hmm. that he's been disfigured and even something that i kept thinking about was his understanding the penguin's understanding of what politics even is Mm -hmm. so there's like a moment when he's in the department store after he's announced his mayoral candidacy and there are all of these like attractive women who are down like you know being like oh Like Cobblepot, 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 because that's who he finds out that he is, is Oswald Cobblepot. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you're such an amazing, like, mayoral candidate to have. And he, like, kind of hits on these young women and then tries to put a pin 
on them. And then when he like, and it's very gross. Like it's yeah. very, it's very like rapey. Um, right. Like, and then even when he leaves that interaction, he turns around and he's like, oh, I could, I could get used to politics. Like politics is all about like, he says like a couple of different things, but one of them is like, it's about touching people. It's about groping people. Yeah, and yeah. And that to me also, when I think about Donald Trump, like that is one of the most that was like the first scandal that I remember about Donald Trump was all of those tapes being leaked and about the about him saying those awful things mm-hmm. about women's body parts and that getting leaked. And I guess I just kept kind of thinking about how I wish that we still lived in a time and this comes out later in the movie, but I wish we still lived in a time where like catching someone saying something on tape and hearing it was still evidence Whereas now, as we know, like when we have something on tape or we have something on video, like and technology has just evolved. But it's so much easier to discount. It's not as much of a slam dunk, you know? No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. You know, one of the ways to look at this movie, if you know you really want to kind of tease the metaphor out of a little bit or the kind of unintended allegory, you know, you can kind of look at the Max Shrek character and the Penguin character. It's almost kind of two sides of the same coin you know you have the kind of respectable businessman you know larger than life version of this but then you also have the really grotesque creepy you know penguin character is kind of the id the other kind of side of that um and you know in again the 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 dialogue really is hard-hitting you know some some of the lines that penguin says to some of the female characters you know when he first meets catwoman he you know some of the stuff he says it's really gross it's really sexist you know and it's very reminiscent (laughs) Of some of the stuff from those tapes that we remember from the 2016 campaign Mm -hmm. um, and everything combined. Like you said, you know, in the movie, kind of flash forward, you know, it's the tapes of the Penguin uh, that are kind of aired by Batman publicly and that sink his campaign. You know, whereas in real life, you know, uh, life, you know, kind of out-competing art, you know, that didn't happen. And people were willing, you know, even to just kind of look the other way or gloss over that kind of stuff. And so it's really interesting, in some ways, Batman ended up being the kind of less cynical look at politics, even compared to, you know, what we have in real life. But, you know, so and some of it is just, you know, darkly entertaining. You know, that scene where the penguin is brought uh, straight from the sewer into this room full of political consultants yeah. and mm-hmm. image people <laughs> and whatnot in order to kind of clean him up and everything. Um, and just the way in which this figure who even, you know, with a suit on and everything is still clearly literally dripping bile and saying all these things. But the public for a time at least, you know, seems oblivious to all of that and is accepting him as this distinguished candidate, as this source of law and order and kind of cleaning up Gotham. This tough on crime. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This tough on crime candidate. (laughs) And that's another one, the really kind of, you know, cynical or maybe accurate uh, depiction of that, you know, if Cobblepot means order is one of the buttons that you see there. And, one of the things that struck me when I looked at the movie this this current time is that unlike many of the other Batman movies, there are no muggers in this movie. There are no mafia guys. There's yeah. no like crime except for the crime that are being committed by these people. Yes, you know everything. Every criminal that Batman fights in this movie is part of Penguin's gang, mm-hmm. and yet Penguin is using this, you know, very cynically as a way of kind of destabilizing Gotham, of you know, creating a crisis for him to step in and solve mm-hmm. in this very, very orchestrated way. Yeah. And for a long time, it works. And everyone sees Batman as the villain who gets mm-hmm. kind of framed and sees the Penguin as the hero 
even though uh, Batman has been trying to tell everyone, no, you know, the Penguin is really behind all this, you know, this crime wave, these evil circus performers. You know, it's not really that hard to kind of connect the dots if you were doing it. And yet it almost works, the scheme. And it's only kind of the Penguin's own words that ultimately are his undoing at the end. I mean, one thing that I thought that was very interesting and like sort of the lead up, Max Shrek trying to get Penguin to run for mayor was um, like the the quote that he says, like they've lost faith in symbols. I thought that was very interesting and how he sort of uses the Penguin to symbolize, yeah, to symbolize that law and order or just like demonizing Batman in order to impose more law and order despite, you know, this all being orchestrated as like a master plan. <laughs> No, absolutely. Yeah, this appeal to law and order and this kind of populist campaign. And that's something that, you know, you see a lot in real life in various political contexts, you know, around the world, you know, and even in kind of, you know, if we go far back enough in American history, you know, we're not as used to kind of pure populism as maybe some other countries, but we definitely have it. And that is definitely, you know, what we saw in 2016. I would even argue, you know, um, not only with Donald Trump, or as you one, I would even argue, you know, a candidate like, say, Bernie Sanders on the other side from the political left, you know, appealing directly to the populace as kind of a political outsider, someone who's going to stand up for the common person against, you know, whatever the kind of larger foes are. Um, but coming especially from the Penguin as someone who is of this elite background, but has kind of become estranged for it and therefore is attempting to connect with kind of the common citizen in this way, or at least pretending to connect with the common citizen and having these kind of very trite but effective slogans and these very staged but effective moments to demonstrate his own heroism and whatnot in order to really kind of manipulate the public in a very, very, very crass way. So, I mean, I'm even just trying to think, like, kind of about the movie and how the plots progress. And so, I mean... As we get more into the middle of the movie, we've been introduced to Catwoman, we have Batman, we have the Penguin, we also have Max Shrek. Going back to something that you said at the beginning about kind of this women's empowerment stuff that came in, like I thought it was I thought it was fun how Catwoman kind of kept coming in and saving women mm -hmm. from being saved by men. And like that that was kind of like the commentary and she would have some of these funny like quips back yeah she would be like you like you women like are always like waiting for a batman to come into your lives that was like the quote that i remember specifically and she's like instead like you should be waiting for a cat woman or mm -hmm. something to see <laughs> she's you. like me i'm Catwoman, and it's like <laughs> i like i will keep you safe now from now on yeah, and she really plays up that contrast. You know, I'm going to be your definitive to keep you safe. And, you know, mm -hmm. even when she's confronting Batman at one point, and, you know, he, she's like, you killed me. He's like, I tried to save you. And she's like, you know, every woman that you try to save ends up dying. Yeah. yeah. Rethink your profession. Yeah. Well, and again, like, it was just so, it's just really interesting to look at gender representation in the media, like, 30 years later, because it also... There were a couple moments in the movie and um, maybe actually before I go, because one of the things that I want to talk about is actually how the movie ends. So maybe, Christopher, would you mind kind of like summarizing kind of like the, the climax of the movie and kind of how it ends? And then I'd like to go back to this point that I have about 
gender. <laughs> no, absolutely. So I guess, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns, but the kind of the short version is so Penguin's political campaign eventually gets shot down. You know, he's recorded saying some stuff. Um, and then he kind of goes to plan B, which is, you know, if I can't be mayor, I'm going to kidnap all the children of the rich society from Gotham. And so he tries to do that and Batman foils that. And then he goes to kind of plan C, which is he's going to send out his army of penguins with rockets. Real, real penguins. Real, real penguins, penguins yeah. from an abandoned zoo <laughs> uh-huh. armed with rockets um, to essentially bomb Gotham City. That, those yeah. were the cutest domestic terrorists that I've personally that was ever seen. the funniest. <laughs> and just like watching them all waddle out. It was so funny. Yeah. It is really one of those things where the third act is like, oh, by the way, I have this giant lair in this abandoned zoo with hundreds of penguins oh, yeah. trained and armed with missiles that well, I'm going to send out. And I was also wondering where they got all of those bats because yes. right, like part of like the part of them like framing Batman for all of these problems is that they had gotten a large amount of bats possibly yes. hundreds yes. of bats that they had miraculously stored a bunch of them in the Christmas tree yes and trained them not to come out until <laughs> yes, the proper yeah. moment <laughs> Yeah, and so there's definitely, you know, there's like a zoologist somewhere in the background. Um, and one of the penguins henchmen must be in maybe a deleted scene or something. Uh-huh. And so you get this climax where, you know, everyone shows up at the zoo. Um, Batman send, hacks the penguins, essentially, to send them back to bomb the zoo. Uh, Catwoman shows up to confront Max Shrek, who's been kidnapped by the penguin and taken to his lair and is locked in a cage over the toxic waste that his own company has created. And so you get this kind of, you know, multi, multi-angled multi showdown where uh, the Penguin kind of gets taken down by Batman. Uh, Shrek gets electrocuted to death by Catwoman with the stun gun that she had taken earlier. That she kisses that him she with. she kisses him with. She kisses him with the stun gun, you know, in his mouth, essentially, mm-hmm. and electrocutes him. And, you know, she disappears and he's... His fried corpse, you know, very yeah. again, another very Tim Burton shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Batman finds um, after he's, you know, shot her several times and taken, you know, all but two of her nine lives mm-hmm. and everything. Um, Batman, meanwhile, takes his mask off, tries to appeal to Selena before this happens and everything. Um, superheroes never keep their masks on in these yeah. kind of movies. And so, and then at the end, you know, the kind of, Danny Vito's penguin emerges from the water um, for one last time, you know, now oozing this black bile from mm-hmm. his mouth. And he has this kind of, you know, monologue of how he's going to come back and do all these things. But first he needs, you know, first I need a glass of cold water. And he <laughs> falls down on his face dead. And then uh-huh. his penguins come like pallbearers and mm-hmm. drag his body down into the river of, sewage essentially where his story began where Mm -hmm. his story began and where it ends indeed you know circle of life Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so a subtle understated climax to this movie Mm -hmm. yeah well and again like i was when we were watching when i was watching it there was just this moment where i think bruce wayne is talking to alfred which also alfred and batman's relationship and their appearance in the show was just really funny like the only thing i'll say about it is that it was so um it really set bruce wayne up as a as a man child yes i thought like more i felt like it was more obvious than i had ever seen it in this movie like even with alfred like trying to be like oh well like 
shouldn't we do this or something like in trying to be like the voice of reason mm-hmm. or like kind of having to nudge Batman in the right direction or away from the wrong thing. Yeah. And Bruce is kind of like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's this one nice scene in the in the middle when, you know, Bruce Wayne runs into Selena Kyle in kind of, you know, out about town and whatnot. And, you know, in the middle of all the chaos that's going on, you know, he's like, oh, but, you know, he's a t- chance for the state with this woman that I just met. And in the background, Alfred is honking the car horn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. We have important things to do. And so at the very end of the movie, it ends with Bruce Wayne and Alfred talking to each other. And Bruce Wayne makes this comment about, you know, like goodwill towards men. And women. Roll credits. <laughs> was just like, what is happening? Like, it was just this really funny thing where, right, where we're at the representation yes. part mm-hmm. of gender where it was just kind of like, oh, like, we're beginning to realize that maybe men isn't an inclusive term to include everyone. And yeah. just to have that be the last line of the movie, even for me, I was just kind of like, really? Like, this was the best you had? <laughs> Tim Burton, like, was just like this, like, kind of... um like, plea towards, like, women we see you? Like, I don't even know right. what the motivation was behind <laughs> that behind that choice. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's feminism in the, to the, not beyond the level of, wait, women exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, progress, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed, but no. Um, it's just such an over-the-top movie in so many ways, and such a in-your-face kind of movie, and it's, political leanings, like you say, in its kind of gender politics and all these kind of things. Um, and very much a movie of its time, of kind of the oh, early yeah. 1990s, um, where, again, subtlety was not exactly our strong suit back in the back in that day. But good intention, I think, maybe, um, if a little bit, you know, kind of cringy looking at it 30 years later. So I know that we're getting close to time what do you think the main takeaway is wow there's so many kind of elements to pull out of this movie i think you know again i really like it for you know the politics for kind of you know it's it's kind of you know predicting what became this kind of uh, one uh uh immature at yale called it billionaire populism Mm -hmm. this kind of idea of you know these elites who masquerade as the common folk in order to really manipulate the public and whatnot that Compared and contrasted, as you said, with the kind of baseline proto-feminist message with through the Catwoman, um, which in some ways is actually kind of progressive. Um, you know, I, we make fun of it for very good reasons. Um, but, you know, but Selena Kyle very much is an empowered woman in the context of a society meant to take away that power. Um, and the movie, you know, very explicitly speaks to that. Uh, if even if it does so while she's wearing this you know weird patent leather kind of faux dominatrix mm-hmm. outfit, which even of itself you know it kind of is a political statement if you want to take it that way. Um, it's also just a fun movie, I think, that really leans into the ridiculousness of the Batman mythology in order to simultaneously tell this over-the-top Christmas uh, yeah. s- superhero and villain story that can still speak to all these more serious topics that we've talked about today. And so it's maybe my second favorite Batman movie, you know, after The Dark Knight, which, you know, has its own politics and its own multi-layers and whatnot. Um, but after that, you know, just in order for, of, in the sense of fully 
taking Batman and this world of Gotham and really stretching it in all these different directions. Um, it does so in a way that few other superhero movies in general really do. And the ambition, I think, is something that is really quite impressive. Um, and it'll make you look at Christmas a totally different way than you ever have before as well. <laughs> well, and something I, while you were talking that I also wanted to emphasize about the movie that I think is spot on for now is kind of how people in positions of power can manipulate people into choosing paths again their against their own self-interests. So even like when we think about the penguins relationship with Max Shrek, really penguins villain is Max Shrek. Yes. And somehow Max Shrek is able to convince Penguin that it is in Penguin's best interest to work with him mm-hmm. when really it's in Max Shrek's best interest yes. for Penguin to work with Max Shrek. And that is just something that I think about all the time in our current political climate yeah. about how easy it is for people who have who write like the saying goes, we're all more likely to be houseless than we are to be billionaires. And yet there mm-hmm. are still such large populations of voters who are more likely to vote for things that actually directly harm them because there's a chance that they could have a little bit of what billionaires have. And yeah. I at least felt that represented in this in this movie as well. Absolutely. I don't know. You you may remember and some of the listeners may remember in kind of early 2000s, there was this book called What's the Matter with Kansas, which is very much that idea of, you know, why there are a large chunk of American voters who, you know, vote for parties and politicians that were uh, directly against their economic yeah. self-interest <laughs> and, and the, you know, the ways in which these other kind of issues are, you know, given the foreground and used to convince people to vote in ways that harm them in very kind of tangible ways. And I think in the movie, it's really brilliant the way that this Max Shrek character, you know, in a scene goes from about to, you know, he's about to be murdered because of all the villainy that he's committed, you know, harming all these people, polluting the city and whatnot. And he turns it on a dime and he convinces the guy who's about to bring vengeance or justice to him instead, you know, hey, let's make a deal. And Mm -hmm. he dangles this idea of, a version of politics that's all about money and power. You know, mm-hmm. as you said, when Penguin's talking about his dreams of being mayor, it's all about having the money, having the power, yeah. having all the kind of fringe benefits that come along with that. And this idea that, oh, if we just work hard, we can have that lifestyle, that we can <laughs> become one of the elite, we can become the millionaires, we can become the billionaires and have that lifestyle, even though a much more equitable and much more effective system would be to really revamp our institution so that, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have to struggle individually and hope to win the lottery, so to speak, um, or take the chance that we're one of the few that can kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and whatnot. But having that, those dreams, those illusions dangled in front of people, I think it's something that's really common and really gets illustrated again this in this very over the top, very dramatic way here. I think that's a that's a good place to end the episode on. I want to thank you so much, Christopher, for joining us and talking about this very obviously Christmas movie, Batman Returns. Oh, absolutely! Thank you all so much for allowing me uh, to go ad nauseum about one of my favorite superhero movies. Anytime, and I hope that you will join us again in the future because this has been so fun having you. Um, and I guess before we let you go, I would just love to know um, where people can find you. Absolutely. Yeah, if people are interested, I, 
they could they could find me on social media. Um, I'm listed. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram under the name of my comic. So it's ten underscore comics. So T E N underscore comics, and you can find my handle there. And if people wanted to actually read the book, I think it's, it's available on globalcomics.com, globalcomics with an X at the end, uh, dot com. And so, yeah, and I would love if people wanted to reach out. Fantastic. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Christopher, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Let's enjoy a bat-free Christmas if we can. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to Abolish Arkham on 102.9 FM Boston. We are your hosts, Yuki and Dakota. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Abolish underscore Arkham.